0: Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late-stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. beautiful friends. How are you doing today? I am... I'm I'm good, <laughs> question mark. It's a gray day and it's been gray and rainy this week in Chicago, so it's not that exciting. At any rate, you don't give a shit about the weather. Let's talk about something interesting. So I listen to this podcast Sounds Like a Cult, and it's really fun. It's cute. It's poppy. You know, they talk about different organizations and people and concepts and essentially rate whether or not they think it's a cult or not. And not too long ago, they had an episode about the cult of Instagram therapists. And of course, I feel immediately attacked and must listen to hear all the terrible things that they say about me. They're not talking about me. (laughs) So I listened to the podcast with The ear, obviously, of a therapist who engages on Instagram, and I also listened with the ear of a person who seeks mental health support, and what I took away from it is pretty much one of the things that I've been preaching all along is that we have to be in relationship with our power. So in this podcast episode, and I highly recommend you listen to not just that episode, but all of them because they're very interesting. You know, they talk about one specific psychotherapist who has gotten a lot of followers and gives a lot of advice and... It is a problem. It's a huge problem to be giving advice, you know, and that's kind of so I'm speaking both to therapists because I know therapists listen to this podcast, but I'm also speaking to people who are not therapists because I think that there's really important information in that podcast for both of us. So if you're a therapist I know that the trend right now is to try to come up with quick tips and cute little videos to share, you know, information about mental health. But the thing is, is that being mentally healthy is not quick and it's not easy. And I know that that's what people want, but I that's just that just doesn't work. And also, as therapists, I think it's really, really important to recognize what we're saying and how people, how people might be taking in what we're saying. And obviously, you know, we can't control what people do with the information that we share. But just to always have that in mind, I'm always really trying to, whenever I create a post and in this podcast, right, when I'm saying things, I'm really trying to think about, you know, the ways that people might Take things wrong. And, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to, like, please the haters, but I'm I want to be responsible enough to recognize that some folks might not understand what I'm talking about and might take it in a way and use that information to harm themselves. You know, it's I don't know. It's this is it's really, really hard because we're in an age right now where if you're not on Instagram or you don't have a podcast, right, if you're not putting yourself out there in that way that people wonder like, oh, what's wrong with you? Why why aren't you engaging in this? And yet I think that there's a slippery slope for for us therapists who do have followings on social media and these podcasts, right? So to clients who are consumers of mental health information on social media and in real life, I guess my advice is just don't take anything like completely to heart. I mean, I have definitely seen... Instagram posts that the information was like so important to me, but then I would take it to my therapist and talk about it. Or I might talk to my friends about it and I would do some more digging with it myself rather than just taking something as like, this is a truth. This is how the world is now. And I just get all my info from social media. (laughs) Right. And I'm I'm guessing that if you're listening to this, that you might already be a person who is very savvy with your consumption of media and podcasts. And, you know, also don't get all your information in one place, right? If you are listening to me for mental health and spirituality and that sort of stuff, awesome. But I'm, I am not the end all be all. And there are probably so many other amazing podcasts and, you know, content creators and all that out there. So, you know, man, like, I don't know. Let's just be cool. (laughs) That's a terrible summary of this, but it's just it's a really complex situation. So at any rate, whether you're a therapist or not, go listen to sounds like a cult, uh, the cult of Instagram therapists and, and, you know, judge for yourself and uh, and let me know what you think. And you can let me know what you think by following me on Instagram. See, it's a fucking vicious cycle. We just can't win. So we're not going to try to win today. We're just going to have an amazing conversation with an amazing guest. So today's guest is Caitlin Olson. Caitlin is a trained therapist, mental health coach, and lifelong Mormon. She runs group programs, creates self-paced courses, and works one-on-one with incredible coaching clients under her business, Caitlin Olson Co., her mission is to destigmatize mental health care, change some family trees for the better, and bring mental health to the forefront of Mormonism. So please enjoy my wonderful, so fascinating conversation with the lovely Caitlin Olson. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe it, but Conversations with a Wounded Healer is turning five years old this month, and we're nearing our 200th episode. If you've been with me for a while, you know this podcast has been an instrumental part of my own healing journey, and now I'd love to hear how it's been a part of yours. For our 200th episode, I'd love to include your voice as well. Go to Speak dash two dot us slash convos with a wounded healer and leave me up to a 60 second voicemail about how this podcast has impacted you for our 200th episode in november i'll include your message in our episode that again is speak dash t o dot u s slash convos with a wounded healer i can't wait to hear from you Hello, Caitlin. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I feel like I say that the exact same way every time. I probably need a new opener. <laughs> it's not a bad thing, right? I Consistency. Yeah. I'm very consistent. It's really kind of terrible. Anyway, less about me, more about you. Hi. Hi. <laughs>
1: Hello.
0: you <laughs> people think, I don't know, I don't prepare very well for podcasts. I just like to, to jump in. So... Let's first talk about how we know each other, because that was a
1: super fun experience. Sure, you want to share? Yeah, we met in Annie, the Rebel Therapist Mastermind, Annie Schuessler. Mm-hmm. Back what like in March, right? For eight I think, months or March, so, twenty twenty-one. Yeah. yeah, and that was fun, right? I love, I loved that mastermind. I still do.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it was. You, me, Courtney, and Maureen, who mm-hmm. has all those folks, and of course, Annie Schusler, that were guests on the podcast, and then a smattering of other folks that I'm sure mm-hmm. will be on
1: here at some point, too. Yeah, it was a really solid group. I loved everybody in there,
0: yeah. well, let's start first with where you are now, and then we're going to go back into the past. So tell people
1: what you're doing right now. What's your jam? So I'm a mental health coach, and I am based out of Northern California. I am new to both of those things. I was working primarily as a licensed marriage and family therapist for years. And then at the end of 2021, let that license go and switched full time to coaching. And mid 2020 is when I and my husband and our three kids moved to Northern California from Las Vegas, Nevada. So Mm. lots of change, good change. Mm -hmm. And I work mostly with Mormon women. That's like my niche. That's kind of the bread and butter these days. Awesome.
0: Cool. So, and we're going to dig into all of that as we get there, but I guess first things first, why did you become a therapist? Tell
1: us your origin story. Oh, wow. So (laughs) like kind of the beginning part of that is I was living in Texas. My husband was in pilot training. He's in the military and Mm. didn't have a ton to do for myself. So I was substitute teaching and I'd had a I had a bachelor's degree, but it was in English. And so I didn't really have much <laughs> to do it. My that. husband's an English major. So <laughs> yeah. I know
0: there's nothing you can
1: do with that. Right. Yeah. It's like a <laughs> stepping stone, but it's definitely not mm-hmm. a destination. And I, you know, I was raised Mormon. So I was like, I guess I'll just kill time until I have kids and then I'll be a stay at home mm-hmm. mom. And that was kind of my plan, if I even can call it that. Mm-hmm. But while in Texas, my parents, who were a Mormon couple and my mom was a stay at home mom, you know, they'd done things really traditionally. My parents, Separated and we're moving toward divorce, and they ultimately mm-hmm. ended up staying together, and they have a really great marriage now. But when I was brand new newlywed and looking at the rest of my life, and then watching my parents' marriage implode, and my mm-hmm. mom really, really struggling not only with mental health but also just practicalities—you know, wondering how she's going to support herself and
0: mm.
1: what to do—and she had kind of done all the quote-unquote right things according to Mormonism, so. Mm it hadn't worked very well for her at least yeah. up until that point. So as I was looking at their experiences and then really struggling just as a child of their separation, you know, a grown mm. adult child of a marriage that was falling apart, I mm-hmm. started going to see a therapist for the first time ever just to like mm. cry for an hour every other week, You know, <laughs> try to like be somewhat proactive and getting through This thing that had really rocked my family of origin Mm -hmm. and fast forward a year or so, and I'm now living in Las Vegas and thinking, okay, I'm in this big town. I can find some sort of job again, like a time killer, but like Mm -hmm. I can find some work. But it was early 2010 and Vegas was hit really, really hard by the recession mm. and the housing bubble bursting and everything. Mm. And it was just kind of a wake up call for me. I'm like, OK, just because I have like a degree from a decent school and I've had this kind of sheltered, kind of spoiled upbringing, like I just didn't have to work that hard or think that hard about where money was coming from. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of thought I'll just get a great job <laughs> and I couldn't. And right. so I started thinking about going back to school. and looked at UNLV's website just to poke around their grad programs and stumbled upon the marriage and family therapy description, you know, like a paragraph. And I was like, oh yeah, that's what I want to do. And I think it was a combination of obviously my mental health experiences so far. Mm -hmm. And then knowing I wanted to do something that was meaningful, but also that I, I could support myself on, you know, because my husband at the time I had like no reason to think anything was going to change between us or that he was Mm going to bail on our marriage at any point. But, you know, I never thought that of my dad and did for a while. So I wanted to have a career and I wanted it to be meaningful. And marriage and family therapy just kind of jumped off the page.
0: And you said that the first time you went to therapy was in your 20s. And I'm curious what the Mormon church thinks about like mental health support.
1: Yeah. So I mean, technically, right, they support mental health support. Mm-hmm. And, and if you look on the church's website, they do a decent job of just addressing the importance of getting specialist care and not counting mm-hmm. on your spiritual leaders to help you with mental health matters. They're really clear that any sort of mental health struggles are not a sign of sin or a punishment from God, right? Like that's very, mm. very explicit well, that's good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's not the same for all religions. (laughs) No, it's not. And I don't think ever formally, it wasn't that from the Mormon church, but Mm -hmm. kind of informally and then culturally it was, and it still is. And it depends on how you were raised and like what kind of Mormon family you were Mm -hmm. raised in or like at what age you came across the Mormon church, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But in general, you know, I never felt like, oh no, this is, a conflict with my religious beliefs. You know, I was just mm-hmm. like, I need help and I need to go. Mm. And
0: now you're not
1: a therapist. So, what was that decision process like? It was like slow but easy.
0: If that makes mm. sense.
1: I, part of my work with Annie and just expanding my business into coaching in general helped open up my mind, right, to the ways that I can not only be successful as a therapist, but also just be. An asset as a mental health professional, and mm-hmm. it was again slow. So I knew probably eighteen months ago that this was something. Eventually, I would probably do is let my license go, and then maybe early twenty twenty one. I remember talking to Annie like, "Yeah, I'm I'm gonna renew it this time, but it's probably the last time I'll renew my license." Mm-hmm. And at the time, she was like, "Sounds like a great plan," but I'm betting she was like, "Sure, sure, you yeah, will." Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And then I went to do the CEUs and. I was like, I don't care about this stuff. I don't Mm. have any interest in it. I don't think this is what my clients need me to know. It feels like Mm. a waste of time. And you know how it goes. They're crammed in on the weekends. The traditional kind of arrangement is you work five days and then you go to two days of training and then you show up and work five days again. And it's just not something I was interested in. And I could have done it differently, but also knowing what I already knew that I wasn't gonna stay a licensed therapist Mm -hmm, much longer anyway. It just kind of felt like, I don't think I want to do this. I think I'm ready to move full-time into coaching. And I'm, I kind of paused there because I was thinking about how when I moved, you know, relocated from Las Vegas to California, I did not get licensed in California. I kept my Nevada license and planned to work online full-time and that's what I was doing. And so it wasn't, it was kind of already built Mm -hmm. in like the system, you know, to be Mm -hmm. an online mental health coach was already there. What did you feel like the constraints were for you as a therapist that you could do as a coach without a license? So location, for sure. And that's just whether I had a license or not. But being able to work with anyone anywhere became increasingly important. And then
0: mm-hmm.
1: protecting my license felt like a constraint because I, even though I've worked in private practice, pretty much my entire or had worked in private practice pretty much my entire therapy career and hadn't taken insurance, I still was ending up working with insurance companies, filling mm-hmm. out forms to do super bills, reimbursements. And that stuff takes time and energy, but also <laughs> it like, I know, mm-hmm. to put it mildly, <laughs> but it yeah. also, it just felt like the longer I did this work, the less valuable it became to try to diagnose people. And that's partly mm-hmm. because of the shift in the population I was working with. but. It just started to feel like kind of a made up thing that doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. And I don't mean that, I don't know, to take it too lightly, right? Right. Because it's important. And at the same time for me and for my work, and especially as I was getting clear on my niche and really narrowing down to working with Mormon women almost exclusively, it didn't matter anymore. Like they were just Mm -hmm. coming to me because at that point I had the experience and the approach and the. Training that was plenty, and I just didn't need any more from the license.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Because, I mean, with that very specific niche, you already have everything that you need, right? Because you'd been through it. And with the foundational mental health knowledge, I mean, of mm-hmm. course, we can always learn and grow. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm yes, sure yeah. you're not like not doing any education. Yeah. So let's just yeah. be clear with the audience. And yeah. who's like, what? <laughs> she doesn't care about So yeah. we get it.
1: I think it's as you say that, I'm reminded of one of the aha moments, which was like, as I started out, I really needed the structure and the accountability of a licensing board and rules to follow. And now 10 years down the road, I can just trust myself to do that. And instead of externally or you know, outsourcing that to external places, it's just something that I can gauge for myself. And that doesn't mean I have no external accountability. I do. It's just mm-hmm. different. And it's more Personalize and customize to who I am and the work I'm doing.
0: And the hard piece is, you know, I trust you. To hold yourself accountable, yeah. but not yeah. everybody has yeah. that, right? Even people who still have licenses, like if you... Did you listen to The Shrink Next Door or watch the show? Yes. Oh, my right? gosh. Like, that yeah. crazy bullshit. So everybody yeah. stop what you're doing, listen yeah. to or watch that show, and then come back to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, that's wild. And that, I mean, that, yes, that's a very wild out there story, but he's not the only one that's no. acting that way, that, that therapist. Yeah. So it's it, like, I just, I don't know... I don't know where the balance is for how to not restrict those of us who are following the rules and keeping people accountable who are, I mean, honestly, it probably starts in school. Like you shouldn't be able to get the degree if you're a flaming narcissist or have a personality disorder of any sort. And yes, I'm gatekeeping, but like, that's just kind of
1: not safe. (laughs) It's really, you know, I started to kind of like realize what you're saying, right? That Mm -hmm. having a license is not a guarantee for being ethically minded or safe as a clinician. And Mm -hmm. there were a couple, you know, over the years, we all, we therapists, we all run across unethical, bad Mm -hmm. therapists. Right. And that, you know, was kind of run in the mill and not super alarming until last spring when I had an experience with a colleague and a referral he made to me who uh, this couple that he was best friends with. And then the guy didn't love the way I was doing things. So he went back to his friend and now he's their therapist. And I was like, this oh. feels weird. You're now working with your best friends. No charging them. And it just, you know, I was kind of like, dang. <laughs> and it's not, yeah. it's not like me not having a license is all about that one experience, but it was, it right. was kind of, and then listening to bigger stories, like the shrinkness or it's like, oh, there's no guarantee. And mm-hmm. The closest thing I do have to any sort of guarantee when it comes to my work is me, you know, and my relationship with myself and my clients and the different checks and balances I can build in in my Mm -hmm. business to help things stay Mm -hmm. helpful and not and avoid harm.
0: Right. Well, for me, one of the most important ways that I continue to hold myself accountable is going to therapy and doing my own work. So do you feel that same way? Totally. Yes. 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you are comfortable with this, and I'm guessing you are because you post about it on social media, yeah. <laughs> you talk about having a breakdown. In, was it in 2020 or 2021? Would you tell us about your experience?
1: Yeah, sure. I have never thought of it as a breakdown, but yeah, you're probably right. That's what oh, it was. sorry. It was, That's my word, not yours. <laughs> oh, It was kind of like in therapy, we're like breakdown mm-hmm. is also a breakthrough, right? Absolutely. It's kind of a coming apart and then a rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 2020, I think we all know 2020, it was mm-hmm. tricky. And I think I was operating on a lot of adrenaline and also a lot mm-hmm. of excitement because we were moving out of Las Vegas and into Northern California. And that was a move I was really, really excited about. And the circumstances of it were more stressful than we thought just because Mm. it was the middle of a pandemic and we, you know, we didn't get time with the people we wanted to before we moved and all of that, but
0: Mm.
1: it was exciting. I was making a change with my career because I was going fully online and working from home instead of renting office space and Mm -hmm. the house we're in, you know, I was so excited to come here and like make it our own. And meet people, you know, all of that was just uh, pretty energizing. And then I think, you know, it's a a series of events and a lot of factors, but I think by then we were on the third wave, I don't know, but whatever happened like late 2020, when the CDC said like, do not travel for Thanksgiving, right? Mm -hmm. Don't come together in large groups for the holidays. And, You know, we respected those recommendations. And my dad, who's a medical doctor, was like, Yeah, no, we're not all getting together at Thanksgiving. And that just kind of was a brick wall Mm. a little bit for me. So hitting that, and then the winter was like a winter. And (laughs) I say a winter, it was just kind of a little bit of a seasonal affective disorder winter, Mm -hmm. which is usually, I think, would have been like a normally mild thing for me to just navigate. But I was already kind of down, you know? So it, it was a a kick while I was down. Yeah. So yeah, what I've been sharing a lot about on social media lately, and I shared in the summer when I was starting to feel a little bit better, but I've been sharing about this depression that just like really took hold and suicidality that kicked in
0: Mm -hmm.
1: in a way it just never had before. And that was in the Mm -hmm. spring and into the summer. And then, like you mentioned earlier, therapy was really important to me for my recovery. And getting into a doctor who could help me look at my medication because I've been on an antidepressant for a couple of years at that point Mm -hmm. and was wondering about a switch and we switched. And then the second one was so not the right fit, you know, make everything (laughs) worse.
0: I hate when that happens and I have been there.
1: Yeah. It's kind of just to help people understand where I was, you know, I was taking this new medication and like so hopeful that it would help Mm -hmm. and I would feel okay during the day, and then I describe it as like sundowning. You know, like when it's yes. went down. I just, Me too. Was, yeah, isn't that wild? Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, and then like the, I'm not okay, and then I'd wake up and be like, yeah. okay, it's okay, it's okay. You know, trying to kind of convince yes. myself that it was working. And I sent a letter to my doctor after like two weeks of this or note, you know, in her system, mm-hmm. just like. I'm okay, but like just heads up, this is what I'm noticing Mm -hmm. and it's probably fine. And this was on like a Sunday evening and Mm -hmm. Monday at like 9.01, I get Mm -hmm. a call from her nurse who's like the doctor wants to see you today and I was like Aww. oh I think I'm fine and she was like yeah no she no. wants to see you today Aww, like, what okay. a wonderful doctor that's lovely yeah she's really great and the system is great and that was helpful obviously <laughs> so then I switched over to this medication I'm on now that's really helping and the doctor also was like you know a lot but you can't be your own therapist like you've got to get back in mm-hmm. I was like I, Whoa, know. It's on, doc. I know yeah Eight she's great plus yeah she's really great So then I started to kind of get my feet under me again, and Mm. I felt a lot better. Like every month, I think I just go better and better, but Mm -hmm. that was a big turning point.
0: Mm. I relate to that so much. Mm -hmm. I I had my, what I call a breakdown. I completely fell apart in, was it July of 2020? And then felt a lot better After I went to treatment and then came home, I still was like, I don't need medication. And I don't, I still don't really know what that is Mm -hmm. in me that was like, I don't need meds because I started. Getting really fucking depressed and finally Mm -hmm. was like, I guess I do need something. And so I tell my husband, and I said this before because I was on medication, got off of it. And (laughs) I told him before, don't ever let me go off of it. And he's like, okay. But he's such a pushover. He lets me do whatever I want. So now I'm like, Sarah, please fucking remember never Mm -hmm. go off this again. Because Mm -hmm. yes, that the feeling that would happen for me, I would just be like watching TV totally collapsed because I had no energy at the end. the night and then i would start feeling guilty as fuck and thinking that everybody hated me it was terrible every night
1: yeah it's awful it's Mm -hmm. terrible yeah the medication thing is weird i mean i it took me a long time to actually start but like once i started i was like oh this is like a miracle why would i not do this for the rest of my life you know but Mm -hmm. it took me years and I know so many people, clients, even like just this week having conversations around like, it's okay, you've tried everything else. Like you Mm -hmm. have worked so hard. You have Mm -hmm. so many resources, all these tools. This is the only thing you haven't tried. Like, why don't we just give it, you know, experiment a little bit. And Mm -hmm. there's just, I don't know, stigma, taboo, but also fear because, you know, me feeling really suicidal, like extra suicidal for Mm -hmm. two weeks is not something people... Right. want to risk, right? want to gamble. Right. It's better the devil, you know, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, so I get it. Mm. Well, I'm
0: so glad. It's just, I love hearing stories of people who are like, I need help. And then you go get help and then you get better. I just thank you for getting help.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, I mean, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Thank,
1: <laughs> yeah. thank thank
0: me. I'm glad, you know, that I did that. Right? But, yeah. but that you're sharing this story too, you know, and you are, You know, I just love how honest you are on social media about it and just letting people know this. I mean, it's normal to have mental health struggles in a pandemic.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is
0: like if you're not responding with some sort of trauma response, then I'm then I'm really concerned
1: about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's I've said that to a lot of clients. Like, I would be worried if you weren't anxious or Mm -hmm. tired, Mm -hmm. you know, or depressed Mm -hmm. or scared Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Our first
0: cohort of Wounded Healers virtual group is full. If you wanted to join but missed this opportunity, never fear. I'll be hosting the group again this summer and likely next year as well. Wounded Healers virtual group is an eight week group for mental health professionals led by me. In this group, we will create a sacred container to support one another's healing, integrating spirituality, principles of the neuroaffective relational model, shame resilience and liberation psychology. We'll use the chakra system as a frame for our weekly meetings. To be notified about the next cohort, go to tinyurl.com slash woundedhealerwaitlist. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash woundedhealerwaitlist. Well, shall we pivot into your work with Mormon women? I'm so curious to hear more about that.
1: Sure, yeah. What do you want to know? What do they need help with? What are you seeing? Just like a massive generational exodus. Every Mm -hmm. woman that I talk to who's around my age, like mid-30s up into mid-early 40s, don't have the faith they once did, especially those of us Mm -hmm. like me who were raised in the church. I was raised for the most part in Utah, you know, surrounded Mm -hmm. by this culture for most of our formative years and have -hmm. just kind of like gone with that flow. Like it's worked for us, you know, and— most of these women really fit the mold. You know, they're straight and they're cisgender and they're white and they're married and got married pretty young and they have, Mm -hmm. you know, multiple children and most of them stay at home with those kids. Again, just like I described before, that's kind of the prescription, right? Mm -hmm. And then they come into this experience of a pandemic and then really, really extreme division. And I know we're all aware of that in our country And then Mm -hmm. in the Mormon church, it's like just as extreme, you know, kind of a micro version of that. And Well, I want details about that because
0: obviously evangelicals are for Trump, which blows my mind because he's clearly an evil person and Christians are saying they're behind him. So what's like what's happening behind the scenes that who's supporting what what's going
1: on? So, you know, this is all anecdotal. Right. And just like me My Mm -hmm. experience, my view of things. No
0: research studies here. This is all personal information.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It seems like over the course of what coincided, pandemic and the presidential election of 2020, like over the course of those months, March to November, there was this buildup and slowly but surely people, especially women, and maybe that's just because that's who I'm plugged in with, but Mm -hmm. Mormon people were putting their flags in their yards. And so many of them were Trump. And it really, Mm. at first, you know, it feels like, okay, it's just wacky so-and-so or like, okay, Mm. they're Republican their whole life. And the church, of course, tends Republican, like most conservative religions do. And so you could justify it a little bit, but then Mm. more and more, not only were people vocally supporting this really, I don't know, scary movement, you know, scary Mm -hmm. candidate, they were getting like really abrasive, you know, mm. and confrontational for those of us who weren't. Mm. And it was really, and I, these are a lot of people that I know or have known for a long time and like loved, mm. right? It's hard for me to talk about it without wanting to describe like mm-hmm. every single bit of it because I don't want to just categorize the good Mormons and the evil Mormons. You know, it of doesn't course. work that way. Yeah, right. But again, in general, it was shocking to me in Las Vegas, which is a pretty conservative place, especially like my suburb, you know, where I lived. Which is hilarious to me. I I've know. never been to
0: Vegas, but it's, <laughs> prostitution is legal, but yeah. it's conservative. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Well, it's it was founded by Mormons. Las Vegas was founded by Mormons what? originally. Wait, it was what? a Mormon fort. Yeah. The history of the city is rooted in the Mormon mission effort out of Utah. So it's only two hours away from St. George, Utah, which is a very, very conservative, hmm. small kind of Red Rocks town. So, hmm. yeah. So, yeah, there's the strip, but then the rest of Vegas is really mm. suburbia because there's so much work to be had there. And hmm. when the housing, was booming, you know, there's a ton of housing work to have anyway. So it's mm. conservative. And then my area was really conservative Mormon and also really conservative Judaism. So it's like mm. really, really conservative from anywhere you look, mm-hmm. kind of lifestyle wise, right? Yeah. But then mm-hmm. politically, it just mm. became this really conservative, I don't know, conglomerate kind of monster. And mm. it started with people doubting that COVID existed and believing conspiracy theories. Woof. And then yeah. Like science isn't really a thing that people were right. listening to. And one by one, I watched my friends just get lost to mm. Fox News or to QAnon or to whatever How it was. Painful. It was horrible. And I was also How- a little bit in denial because I was moving away. And so I was like, mm. that's quirky. And so and so's always been a little weird or whatever. And mm. then leaving and then seeing not experiencing them in real life and just seeing what they're posting on social media, I was like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> they're, they're, this is not something to salvage anymore. And it would have been no. hard anyway, cause I was leaving. But I have a few friends, you know, really close friends in Vegas who had the same experience as me and still are just like, how did we get here? You know, and they're yeah. LDS women too, Mormon women too. So I don't, you know, to answer your question, there's no, I don't know how to exactly explain it, except Mm. that, okay, well, this is one way to put it. Mormonism is technically a cult, and that's not like
0: Mm -hmm.
1: an accusation, right? They just kind of check all the boxes. Mm -hmm. And I think Trump is his own cult, right? So Mm -hmm. people who are used to that kind of structure, Mm -hmm. why Mm -hmm. not just kind of fall in line? Mm -hmm. And it's under this umbrella of a political party that they've probably been raised Mm -hmm. to just – Believe in. And
0: mm-hmm. well, um, Reagan was just as terrible, but not as obvious. Exactly.
1: He was charismatic and he was an actor. Right. He knew what right. he was doing. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. So, and, you know, Mormonism is there's a lot of emphasis on self reliance and financial wealth. Oh. Yeah. Well, then duh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that. That's yeah. really, yeah, I there's don't know a whole, shit about Mormonism. <laughs> well, there's a lot to know you know that because mm-hmm. there's so much offered by the church to its members and one of them is a course called self-reliance that you can take and it's like i think mm. eight weeks long and all these different and one of them is Fucking Rand. Yeah. damn it Neo! oh yes.
0: man yeah
1: yeah wow neoliberalism so,
0: uh,
1: yeah a lot mm. of women that have come to me over the last year and a half are just coming to me and like i feel like the weirdest outlier in my congregation these days because I'm the only one who sees that the emperor has no clothes, right? Like what are we doing and why are things moving this way? And then again, formally the church doesn't like promote a party or a candidate and you're not supposed to talk Mm -hmm. about politics when you're teaching a lesson at church or speaking from the pulpit. And yet it still comes up because there's this idea Mm -hmm. of collaboration where anyone can raise their hand anytime and everyone gets a turn to speak in front of everybody. And so- Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, there aren't preachers and there are leaders. We have leaders, but they're not it's not their paid job. They have day jobs. Yeah, it's all volunteers. Is it like testimony kind of like I want to give a testimony right now? Yeah. So the first Mm. Sunday of every month is testimony meeting. And so anyone can go up there without being asked. Yeah. So that's where things can get wild. And it's kind of a joke, right? There's testimony meeting bingo (laughs) that you can play. Ah! (laughs) Right. And But lately it's gotten really, it can get, right? Really intense. Mm. And it depends on your ward, which is the Mm. local congregation. It depends on the tone of of the bishopric who are the leaders of that local congregation. Like in Berkeley, California, it's super liberal. And here in my area of Northern California, it's kind of rural and really conservative. Mm. But my bishop is really young and fairly Mm. progressive, you know? So it's kind of this, Mm. like various factors yeah so it's, it's interesting i think in general to just look into the details of the mormon life and the mormon mm-hmm. experience but for a lot of women and i think this is how i make sense of my psychic well breakdown yeah we can call it yeah. that you know my psyche yeah. just wanting to kind of crumble on, and on itself last spring is
0: mm-hmm.
1: what a lot of women come to me with now and lately is this church that i actually really love right i love the religion mm-hmm. i've I am Christian. I believe in this doctrine, this gospel, and the community has always been a safe place for me because I check all those boxes. Mm -hmm. And now I go in there and I feel like I'm getting, Mm -hmm. like I'm splitting in half or something. You know, it's so, so hard. Mm -hmm. And then I feel anxious all week about the next Sunday or I get depressed and I can't Mm -hmm. function. And then I feel guilty, like you were describing, because I have to fulfill all of these roles in order to be worthy enough to have this eternal life that i'm promised, right? It's mm-hmm. really it's really really taxing. So they come in not knowing what to do. Like i don't ever i never thought i'd want to leave the church, but i'm seriously considering it and that's its own stressor. Or mm. my husband doesn't get it and we're having fights about it all the time or mm. my siblings, right, are accusing me of being in the grips of satan. Like these are things that are really mm. coming at some women, but we are, i say we, like we they Mormon women are just like fleeing the religion Mm. in a lot of ways. Well, are you, so you're
0: still part of the church? You're still a member?
1: Yeah. So membership is hard to resign from. It's possible, Mm. but like, Mm -hmm. you know, the church tracks its members and keeps track of where they live and Mm -hmm. all the different things they participated in, in in the religion. So yeah, to answer that, yes, I am. And most people are until they get an attorney to get themselves off the books. Uh,
0: ooh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. a cult. You yeah. shouldn't have to get a yeah. lawyer to... Okay. So, yeah. so you're not practicing. It's just the technicality or... Cause I guess in what you're sharing, I'm I'm hearing something we say in the twelve step room, like principles above personality. So you can mm-hmm. love the values, you know, that the church stands for really truly, right? Like yeah. God's word. Yeah. You can love that yeah. and really be turned off by the the practices that are happening yeah. because of the different personalities.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good way to conceptualize it. You know, I still like certainly call myself a Mormon woman. I'm a member Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm a believing member and I really identify most strongly as a progressive Mormon woman. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's where I am. And so compared to two years ago, my behaviors are a little different, you know, day to day or week to week, but not that different. Like I still Mm -hmm. quote unquote, follow a lot of the rules and there are a lot of rules, you know, in Mormonism. Like what? Tell us the secret rules. They're not like that secret, but you're not, you know, you're not supposed to drink coffee. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to drink black tea. Yeah. What? Yeah. Just like caffeine? Well, that's okay. Thank you. Like this is where I think we as a religion or as a culture have gotten so lost because there's this guidance called the word of wisdom that kind of originated with Joseph Smith, the founder, right? So this is like Mm -hmm. almost 200 years ago he kind of presents this idea like, let's stay away from coffee and tea. In other words, hot drinks, that's the actual verbiage for health reasons. And let's not smoke because we're sick of having cigarette butts all over our living room floor and that's it. And let's not have alcohol too. So like, those Mm -hmm. are the kind of the original rules. Fast forward to now and modern day Mormons, some of us were raised in houses that didn't allow any caffeine. Some Mm. of us, like me, were raised in houses where you could drink soda. And I've heard it Mm. put like Mormons, like they're caffeine cold. So a lot of Mormons Mm. like have like three Red Bulls a day, but then Mm. they're judging those of us or anyone else, you know, who's drinking coffee Coffee. in the mornings. So, yeah, that's an example of some of the rules. And that's an example Mm. of where I think we as a religion have started to police so much about each other Mm. and formally and informally Mm -hmm. and judge so much and then people, you know, who don't want to wear a mask because they think the pandemic is a conspiracy mm. theory are still like allowed to participate and come in and like expose everyone mm. to a virus, right? It's just kind of wow, confusing and not But at don't all drink Christian. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Come on, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and mm. I I have, you know, one of the main tenets of Mormonism is modern day revelation. And so I have a lot of hope Because of that. And whether I believe it's like really from God, that God's like, okay, this is the year you're allowed to drink coffee. Who knows? (laughs) But it's very much like, it's the leadership that's going to change it when it feels right to them and when they feel quote unquote inspired. And I really believe that as my generation moves up the ranks in Mm. those leadership roles, a lot of this is going to change because Otherwise, the church is going to fall apart. Like like if they can't keep up with the times, they're going to continue to lose members and money and influence. And that will Mm. take another 200 years or so, right? It's just not tenable. And we can see that in the history of the church. You know, there are Mm -hmm. major changes the church has made in its policies over the last 200 years.
0: Hmm. Wow. I I love to just do a lecture on Mormonism. (laughs) This
1: is fascinating. You know, that's part of it too, is that we don't, we're not really taught. It's like any history in America. Like we're not taught the whole history as Mormons. You know, we don't know the Mm -hmm. whole history of our church and Mm. we have to go to outside sources to really get the full picture. And then we're chastised if we go to church sources that aren't church sanctioned. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of new to it and really understanding the big picture, but there's a lot of really beautiful work being done by Mormon women. And of course, my generation isn't the first one. As long Mm -hmm. as the church has been around, there's been a feminist presence in the church Mm. and women saying the same things over and over again. But because women aren't tracking the history and deciding what's getting documented and what's being formalized, we just have to redo it every 20 years.
0: Mm Hmm. Mm. Well, it's so... Interesting to me the way that patriarchy, you know, unfolds in religions like these and just the control, the absolutely anorexic control of people and their decisions. And because I don't know, I believe in a God that doesn't give a shit what you (laughs) eat or drink as long as you're a decent human and you're trying your best. Yeah.
1: Agreed. Yeah. Mm. So when you ask, like, am I a practicing Mormon? It depends on who you ask, but asking me, right? I would say, like, hell yeah, mm-hmm. I'm a practicing Mormon. I, mm-hmm. I'm practicing. Our formal name of the church is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day right. Saints. Like, right. I'm showing up. And Jesus
0: was a radical, you exactly. guys. Exactly. He was
1: progressive. Like, progressive Mormonism mm-hmm. is a redundant term, right? It's just Mormonism. Mm. It's just being like Jesus was
0: mm-hmm. and I think
1: wants us to be. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. (laughs) I know. It's fun to talk about.
0: Oh, good. Well, great. But I have to ask, because we're almost out of time. I can't believe it. We should do this again sometime. We've gotten now Mormonism 101. We need 102 next time. Okay. Or 201. We'll see. But do you
1: consider yourself a healer? Oh. (laughs) I mean, if I'm a healer, then everyone's a healer, right? We're here to heal Mm -hmm. each other. and. Mm So yes, and so are you. And so is everyone, Mm -hmm. including some of public enemy number one, like former presidents that we don't like. People show Mm -hmm. up and trigger each other. I don't like that. (laughs) I don't like it at all. (laughs) Yeah. And it gives you something to explore, right? It gives you something to work with and you don't have to like it ever, right? No one has Mm -hmm. to like anything. And I don't like it either for what it's worth. Like I don't. I'm not comfortable with the words that just came out of my mouth. And it is also (laughs) like what I believe, you know, I really, I really see one of the main stories and origin stories of Mormonism is that God is up in heaven and he has two sons, Jesus and Satan. And he says, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to create this planet and send all of these angels to be humans on this planet. And give me your plans, like pitch me your ideas mm-hmm. to his, it reminds me of succession, right? Like, tell me your plan. <laughs> and, this should be a great remake. I love <laughs> it. And Satan's like, I know, I'll just make everyone perfect. There's no personal agency and we'll just make everyone be perfect so they can all return back home to you. And Jesus is like, well, I don't know. I think personal agency is better. And then Satan is mad because he wants all the glory, like Kendall, mm-hmm. right? And <laughs> I don't, I don't think there's a Christ figure in the Roy family. No, but, um, there is not. <laughs> well. Jesus is like, you know, I'll do it. I'll sacrifice myself and I'll give you, God, the glory. That's the idea. And everyone views Satan as like this evil, terrible, like, mm-hmm. oh, he was just so selfish and egotistical. And I'm like, dudes, he's the protagonist. Like if he hadn't mm-hmm. been there we would have no story, right? Okay. It's like there and lame is, you mm-hmm. know, if we don't have something to rub up against and we don't ever progress or learn anything and mm-hmm. holy crap, have we had a lot to rub up against over the last couple of years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. So I think we're all healing and we're all healers, whether you like it or not, Sarah. Mm. <laughs> Oof. I still want to fight you on it. <laughs> we can do that.
0: No, I think what I want, and I, I don't not believe what you're saying. I think Cause it makes a lot of sense the way I want to frame it for myself, because I just can't, I cannot mm-hmm. say Trump is a healer, but <laughs> I love the protagonist thing. I do think that we all have capacity to be healers. I yeah. think that yeah. some people make the choice to tune into that. And some people make the choice to be the protagonist. You yeah. know, like, did you read, what is it, Mary Trump's book on their family? Not Too Much and listen, Never Enough. I
1: didn't listen to the book, but I heard her interviewed. So yeah, I it's the gist.
0: fascinating, right? And yeah. I mean, he was set up to fail yeah. in terms of being a, a decent person, right? I mean, yeah. talk about succession. Like, yeah. it sounds like the Trump family itself. Oh my gosh, um, 100%. Yeah. But- we do have agency, right? Mm-hmm. We have agency. And at mm-hmm. some point we can say, I want to get out of this mess. Mm-hmm. This isn't working for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And so because I, I don't know. And so many people would tell me, Sarah, pray for the people that you don't like. Mm. And when I have done that, positive things have happened, but I but fuck Trump.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I know what you're saying. Like if you know, I have a hard time praying for people that I don't like Mm -hmm. but I in that kind of same vein I will ask for pray for hope for some sort of knowledge or inspiration or just trust in myself to navigate the hate Mm -hmm. in a way that's helpful and healing first for Mm -hmm. me and then for the people that I can influence and I spent months in rage like yeah rage, you know, and Mm -hmm. imagining certain faces on the punching bag in my garage. Mm -hmm. Right. Like really Mm -hmm. it's not that I'm like, come on, don't be angry. Like, no, let's be angry. And I think there's healing in that anger and sometimes a kind of healing that we wouldn't maybe get in other ways. And I can afford Mm -hmm. to say this, right? Because Trump being president or Reagan or whoever doesn't make or break my life because I have that load of privilege. You know, (laughs) like I just I'm I'm gonna be okay no matter what. And so I can afford to kind of be like, I'm gonna use this for my own benefit and my mm-hmm. own personal development. Where some people are like, cool, I don't know how I'm gonna yeah. like survive or if I'm gonna be allowed to live here or yep. you know, fill in the blank.
0: So I appreciate yeah. you saying that. Right. Yeah, my husband and I thought the same thing before the election. Like our lives will not change other than the collective anxiety yeah. <laughs> that crunch literally everyone. Yeah. But yeah, no, it yeah, it makes sense. I mean I'm just really holding a lot of respect for you for how you really spiritually hold this. It's really beautiful.
1: Thank you. It's like a constant mm-hmm. you know effort and for a long time it wasn't there. And I think mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that I hear from a lot of women and this this is how I make sense of my suicidality is what wasn't there had to yeah. be grieved. Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Well, how about wounded healer? You one of those? <laughs> i'm I'm wounded yeah and we're all mm-hmm. we're all wounded healer you know i'm one mm-hmm. of you we're all in this together yada 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 i don't know yeah <laughs> sure <laughs>
0: Right. Well, you don't have to define yourself that way to be a guest on the podcast. That's a good thing. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Caitlin, this has been so educational and entertaining and enjoyable. Thanks, Sarah. Same. Right back at (laughs) you. Yay. So if people want to learn more about your work,
1: connect with you, where do you want to send them? I will send them to Instagram. That's where I love to hang out. It's Caitlin Olsen Co. So C-A-I-T-L-I-N-O-L-S-E-N-C-O. Amazing. Is there anything that we didn't talk
0: about today that you want to say before we go or any tidbits of brilliance that you want to sh- leave listeners with? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love all... that. No. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I am finished. Yeah. Oh my God. You're amazing. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for spending the time and being so vulnerable. And I can only imagine that being a person who's outspoken about an organization such as the Mormon church is you're putting a lot on the line. So I I think that's really brave and really incredible.
1: Thank you. Yeah. There, you know, there was a time where I was worried about that because there are formal disciplinary actions that could be taken and have been taken Mm -hmm. against members and I just have moved somewhere Mm -hmm. beyond that just like okay you know that doesn't scare me anymore Mm -hmm. not that it wouldn't be like painful but well then you wouldn't have to hire a lawyer right yeah they just (laughs) do the work for me they just
0: kick you out great yeah
1: There are actually lawyer. There's at least one I know of who does it for free in Salt Lake. If anyone oh. needs that tidbit, oh. there's my last tidbit of brilliance.
0: Oh, okay. That, <laughs> yes. That is good to know. Yeah. If you need a free lawyer, go for it. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you again. And I'm just excited to be connected with you and just keep doing all the amazing work you're doing. Thanks, Sarah. You too. Thank you so much. Oh, Caitlin, my darling, thank you so much for being such an amazing guest today. If you would love to learn more about Caitlin, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.